It's now a subtle switch in the liturgy. It's now, up until this point, we've been talking to God, singing Him, praising Him, giving our prayers, and we'll do some more of that later. But now the Lord begins to speak to His people through His Word and through the sermon. So, brothers and sisters, let's open our ears and our hearts to hear what God has to say to us tonight. First reading for the last Sunday of Epiphany is Exodus 24, beginning at verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading tonight is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message, something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The final reading today is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Matthew, chapter 17, please rise for the reading of the Gospel. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, 
and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As Aaron mentioned, this is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And as such, we are looking at the transfiguration of Jesus. It starts with the Magi and then the baptism of Jesus and ends the season, the transfiguration. But what is Epiphany? For some, Epiphany might not conjure up any real concepts. After all, it's, it's all Greek to me, right? For many of us here, we might think of light or illumination or manifestation. A few of the historians around here might think of the various Greek rulers who took on this title, called themselves uh, basically the Epiphany. People like Antiochus, different Greek rulers who ruled from Asia Minor, Turkey, all the way through Syria, through Iraq, all the way, actually, there was a, uh, a Greek leader in the Punjab region of India who had this title. Um, however, my favorite uh, Greek contemporary writer to the Bible, Strabo, uses the term to denote anything from prominent or famous men to the surface of the earth the part of the earth that the light touches. And he uses this concept, this term, the surface of the earth in geography and sciences, and he'll argue for uh, geometry, and I'll quote because this is, I love it. This guy lived from 60 BC to 20 AD. So very contemporary, same Greek language, same words. As the size of the earth has been demonstrated by other writers, we shall here take for granted and receive as accurate what they have advanced. We shall also assume that the earth is spheroidal. Note that he used the term spheroidal and not a sphere because the earth or a sphere is round. The earth is not quite round. 
right? It's um, what we would call elliptical. And thus he uses this term spheroidal instead of spherical. That its surface, the surface of this earth, and this is where he uses the term epiphany or epiphanius. The surface is likewise spheroidal, and above all, that bodies have a tendency towards its center, center, which latter point is clear to the perception of the most average understanding. Oh, it's obvious that the earth is round because you can just look and see it's round. Uh, and he goes on to explain about gravity. <laughs> In, uh, you know, I think this was written about uh, 10 BC or so. The surface of the earth, the epiphany, the part that the light touches, demonstrated for Strabo a greater truth that he wished to argue about. In the season of Epiphany, we study the manifestation of Jesus. He first appeared to the Magi, or kind of, in this light, a star. They looked up and they saw a light in the sky and these Gentiles followed it. Just a light and maybe some tradition, some study of a book that somebody brought to their country a couple centuries ago. Then you have, um, who else? John the Baptist. Jesus comes to John, and John looks and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus came to be baptized. And he came to John, and John said, No, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. And Jesus humbled himself and did what was right. And God comes down and says, My beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So perhaps we, like the Magi, can look at this little bit of light and glimpse who Jesus is to see a greater truth. So let's take a look at Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. His passage is amazing. has all of these different um, nuances that we can look at, and you can write a dozen different dissertations about the Greek words, where is it located? A lot of uh, tour guides, of course, will say, oh, it's on Har Tavor, no, it's on Har Hermon, this or that or the other thing. Is it, you know, what does six days mean? What does that mean? What does the other thing mean? However, let's start with this. It's about the epiphany of Jesus. His appearance the light that we can see. If we were to compare Matthew and Mark with Luke, we would see all of these Greek 
differentiates. Matthew and Mark, the term used is metamorphosis. He changed. In Luke, it's um, eteron. And then again, in Luke, it mentions that Jesus changed at the time of his praying. It's not some random occurrence. It's a specific time, a specific reason. And again, in Matthew and Mark, it talks about his clothing becomes like the light. And we can talk about the glory of God and how the glory of God is so often seen in light. And then in Luke, he uses a different term, which denotes that his clothing was so white, it could not possibly be bleached that way by man. But maybe this is still just a bunch of Greek. So let's skip ahead a little bit. Verse 3. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And again, we have these deep theological truths. Looking back at the Exodus, looking back at the Tanakh, after all, who better to represent the law and the prophets than Moses and Elijah? And these references continue back to Exodus everywhere. You have, of course, the temporary dwellings, what we might today remember as Sukkot, the Sukkah, the temporary dwellings that the people of Israel lived in and were commanded to remember that they lived in these temporary dwellings while God was on the mountain with Moses. His cloud over the entire mountain, the holy mountain. And you have the light, the fire, the rumbling of God. And the people are afraid. And yet at the same time, they receive the word of God. But today, I want to look at what Peter talks about. The ever brave and ever fearful Peter. What does he have to say about Epiphany, the metamorphosis of Jesus, the people of Israel below the mountain of God, living in their temporary booths, while Moses' face is illumined? By the presence of God? He doesn't use the fancy Greek words. Sure, he wrote in Greek. But it was very simple. He's not talking about all of these fancy things that happened, even though he was literally there. Don't get me wrong, I love the word studies and they will be helpful to learning about who God is. But you can go on YouTube or on a, read a book about it and learn what all these words mean, what they're about, why they're there. 
But for now, let's just look at what Peter states. We have back to our second reading. For we did not cleverly, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, Peter, literally, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the first Sunday of Epiphany, we read about the Lamb of God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The last Sunday of Epiphany, God adds one phrase. Listen to him. Listen to him. Imagine a world where you and I could hear the very voice of God. Wouldn't that be amazing? To hear God's literal voice. Well, we can. Peter heard the voice of God at least three times in his life. And Peter heard the voice of Jesus for at least three years. And yet here in the second epistle, Peter uses the transfiguration as a proof text that the scripture is something that comes directly from God. Peter was an eyewitness of the majesty of Jesus. He literally heard the voice of God and Jesus just as he was commanded to. But if this is his proof text, what he's trying to prove, what is Peter talking about? Well, let's start with the greeting. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Or in the ESV, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Peter stood next to Jesus. Well, actually, he was sleeping, as Luke would point out. Uh, and he wakes up and he's terrified. And so as a terrified person, the first thing he starts doing is just talking. Because that's what Peter does. But he was there next to Jesus, and he heard the voice of God call down, and yet he writes to these people who are, who were not standing at the feet of Jesus for three years. And he says, you have an equal standing with God as I have. 
Let's start here. Peter heard the voice of God, and something happened to Peter. From the time we first meet him, he is brash, he is impetuous, he is fearful, he is a seeker after God who yet denied him three times and fled when the possibility of persecution and death came upon him. And now as he's writing this epistle, he declares, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Peter's writing this epistle as he approaches death. And he knows that. But he's not fleeing. He's encouraging his brothers. He's encouraging his sisters with the knowledge that Scripture is from God. They too hear the voice of God. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just like we only see the surface of the earth, the small part that the light touches, we know that if the entirety of what God has done, the entirety of what Jesus has done was revealed to us, the revelation would never end. But let's remember one last point. Hearing is not passive. It requires a response. Listen to him. We'll read from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you have heard about Jesus. Perhaps a few large Greek words were thrown about and you could revel in the fact that you knew some of them or some of the history of the Epiphany or some of the history of the Transfiguration but that's not the question. The question is, are you ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus? Am I? There is a lamp shining in the darkness. God has revealed himself to us and we have seen the true light, which gives light to everyone. 
But did we receive him? Are we listening to him? If like for me, the answer is no. Perhaps it truly is time for repentance to take ash and dust, put it on the sackcloth and turn to God with all that we have. And perhaps through faith, through virtue, through knowledge, through self-control, through steadfastness, through godliness, through brotherly affection, and through love, we too can shine the light of God in the darkness. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his, his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. And we know so little about you. And yet you've revealed so much about yourself to us. I pray that we would seek you out, that we would look for you, that we would look to the light, that we would seek you. And we will find you. I pray that like Peter, those of us who have faults, those who, of us who are sinful, those of us who would flee at the first sign of persecution, would grow in our knowledge of you. And in growing in the knowledge, we would listen. And then listening, we would act. And then acting, that we would shine your light into the darkness. And as we come to your table, and as we come to the Lenten season, I pray that we would repent, that we would turn to you with all that we have, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, to love our neighbor as yourself. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.